we had a great weekend last weekend. Just thank you so much for everybody that just is involved on a weekly basis, but then also helped us uh, uh, pull off Easter services last week. We had our largest attended weekend ever, and that was cool. Got to share the gospel. More importantly, got to share the gospel with a whole, whole bunch of people. And so we're excited about that. We're excited, obviously, about the construction that is underway. And thanks for your ongoing patience with us as we um, have drywall dust everywhere. We're getting ready to drywall, and it's going to be messy. I'm just telling you. So uh, Fridays from 4 to 6 p.m., over just over the, probably the next uh, couple months as this project unfolds, we would love to have some extra help. And so if you've got an hour or two free, uh, that you could come out and just help Friday. Our staff is, is in here right after construction workers are out, and, we're try- and it's a ton of work trying to turn the facility around and get it uh, cleaned up and in reasonable shape for the weekend and putting up caution tape and all that stuff to keep the kids where they need to go. So uh, we would love to have some of you come out and help with that. It's a great opportunity to serve. So... We are today going to wrap up our 10-week series called Kingdom in Cross. Now, we are not done with the book of Luke. Uh, I'm going to trick you because we're going to read the last verse of Luke today. And so I'm going to trick you, and you're going to be like, we're done. No, no, no. We're not. We skipped forward. And so we got about five chapters left, and we are going to hit that. We're going to take a month-long break in the month of May. And then we're going to hit Luke again and finish it over the summer. We've got about five more chapters to teach through. But today I really wanted to teach a passage that I think is a great follow-up for Easter and what we celebrated last weekend. So imagine this. We've talked about this before, but just try to imagine this in your mind. Jesus and his group of disciples 2,000 years ago are in this little hot, dusty hill on the northern part of Israel. You know, you've got the, the grass, the dry grass, and wheat fields in the distance, and there's this big mountain up there. It's a town called near a town called Capernaum. And he makes this statement that would have sounded so unbelievable, so amazingly unlikely. He said this, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will build my church. And we teach this often. Literally, the word church here in Greek is ekklesia. It, it doesn't mean building. A lot of times we confuse these, and that's, that's too bad. It means a gathering. It means an assembly. It means the, the people inside of a container of building. It, it's, it's the movement of Jesus. He's saying, I'm building my gathering, my assembly, my movement, and nothing is going to stop it. The gates of Hades, it represents the power of death, the power of Satan. Nothing is going to stop it. That's quite a statement, isn't it? And here we are 2,000 years later, and nothing has stopped the movement that Jesus began, and nothing will. And I try to remind you of this often, at least a couple times a year, of how amazing it is that, that the, the Christian faith actually even emerged from the first century especially considering the persecution. Uh, The persecution in the first three centuries should have wiped out the church. It's, It's so unlikely, it's so amazing that an obscure rabbi from the Middle East would go on to become the most influential and well-known person in history. That his movement would become the most identified with thing on earth, a statistical phenomenon where over a third of the earth's population identifies with the name of Jesus. 
doesn't make a lot of sense if you just study it from a historical or sociological standpoint. Jesus had no children to carry it on. He had no political movement. He had no army. His claims, you know, you look at most religions, uh, it starts with a prophet, but he didn't just claim to be a prophet. He claimed, his claims put him on an equal platform with God. Something that after the crucifixion, had it not been for one little event, should have wiped out this movement right away. It should have disqualified him right away after he went, went on to be publicly executed by Rome in the most humiliating way possible. And then after he died, his followers built the movement not just on his teachings or, or on a philosophy, but primarily on the incredible claim that he rose again, something no one in the culture really had a framework for in, in their mind to understand that. And that he rose again, not somewhere in a distant land, you know, he went off and rose again thousands of miles away, but just right down the street, something that would have been so easily disprovable had it not been true. In fact, Yale professor Wayne Meeks, he puts it this way, why among all the movements following prophets in Rome and Palestine did this one survive? This new, rather improbable message that the Son of God has come to earth and been crucified in human form and risen from the dead appealed to a lot of perfectly ordinary people, or so they appear to us, in such a way that they were willing to change their lives and to become initiated into a group which brought them only hostility, estrangement from their families and neighbors, and the possibility of persecution to the point of death. Why would they do such a thing? Why would they do such a thing? Why did the movement survive? And I believe the only plausible explanation is that what we celebrated last weekend actually happened. That Jesus actually rose from the dead. And that God was actively involved in the beginning of this movement in such a powerful way that it just exploded like wildfire and he is still actively involved with us here today. And that's what we're going to look at. And we're going to go back to the very beginning of the movement, starting in Luke chapter 24. So we're going to wrap up the book of Luke and then trick you and come back to it. And for those of you who are new with the series, Luke, the author of this account, one of the four accounts we have of Jesus' life, he, he tells us he was a, a, a medical doctor and a, a, a brilliant scholar, and he carefully investigated all the facts around Jesus' life, interviewed eyewitnesses, and then wrote his account after he'd verified his information. And so just to catch you up on the story, um, because you know last week what we celebrated was the resurrection that they showed up on Easter morning and nobody was expecting an empty tomb. Nobody was waiting for it, but they showed up and the tomb was empty and the body was gone and then Jesus appeared risen. A little later that day, because they wouldn't believe the ladies because the ladies were there first, the first ones that saw him. And, you know, in this culture, uh, they wouldn't take their word for it. They thought they were crazy just seeing things. 
And so a little bit later in the day, two of the, the disciples are on the road to Emmaus, this road up to, to a village a little ways away. And Jesus shows up behind them and strikes up a conversation and they don't recognize him at first. And he explains from all the scriptures how the Messiah had to suffer. It was prophesied that the Messiah would suffer and die and then rise again. And, and it just blew their minds. And then as they broke bread together, that night, as Jesus stopped with them, their eyes were open and they realized, oh, it's Jesus. And poof, he disappeared from them right before their eyes. And they run back to Jerusalem and, and find the other disciples. And they said, it's true. It's true. The crazy story is true. He's risen. We saw him. He was with us. And as they're just buzzing with excitement and going over this story, that's where we, we pick it up in the room where they're staying. Verse 20, Luke 24, verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, they're amazed. He asked them, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. Why did he do that? Proof he was physical, right. And I, I said this before a joke. I think, you know, dead men don't eat fish and neither do ghosts. Ghosts don't eat fish, okay? And so he, he's proven to them, I am real, physical, because they thought somehow spiritual apparition coming back. They didn't have a framework for understanding the resurrection, even after Jesus stood right in front of them. And then verse 44, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Man, I would have loved to be in that room. I would have loved to, to hear that as, as he went through the scriptures, which they would have known so many by heart and just unpacked how all of this was talking about him. Wouldn't you have loved to be in that room and hear that conversation? Verse 46, he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Now, this little conversation, this little event here, actually Luke in his second volume, which is the account of the early church called Acts, he gives us a lot more detail on this conversation. And, and here's how it goes in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. It says this, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, not just once or twice, over 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, Paul tells us in Corinthians that he appeared to 500 at one time during this 40 days. Acts 1.4, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, 
which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You know, they're still trying to figure this all out. They know, you know, the Messiah is going to lead a, a, an actual kingdom on, on earth. They think it's the time. And Jesus is like, no, I've been telling you all along. It's different. Go back and read all, all my teachings about the kingdom of God. It's going to look differently than you think. And, and in this time period, the kingdom of God, and just what he said, what Jesus told, told Pilate right before the crucifixion, is my kingdom is not of this world now. And so the kingdom of God has been introduced, it's been launched, and it's beginning to spread all over this world, but it's, it looks different than you think. And it's all about receiving relationship, right relationship with God and experiencing the power of God in your life. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the time or dates. My father is set by his own authority. But you, so here, here, here's what you need to worry about. Don't you worry about all the, you know, end of the world stuff and you don't have to be so concerned. Don't worry, God's got that. That's not in your court. God's got control over that. But here, here's your job. Here's your task. Here's your mission. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In your hometown, in your community, in your region or in your nation. And then beyond that, to the ends of the earth, this message has to go. And let me tell you, 2,000 years ago, the place you're sitting right now was about as far the ends of the earth as you could get. And the reason you and I are sitting here is because so many people for generation after generation have been faithful to fulfill the mission Jesus gave them and bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that's why you and I are sitting here today worshiping Jesus. Now let's flip back to Luke. And we're going to finish the book. Psych, right? You ready? Luke 24, 50. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. This is a short ways outside of Jerusalem. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. They worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They stayed continually at the temple, praising God. They're filled with amazement, filled with joy. They watched. And it's kind of funny in, the, in, the Luke, or in, in Luke's account in Acts, he gives us some more details of this too. Because after in this little meeting out here, you know, on the Mount of Olives, which is the special place that they would go, all of a sudden Jesus, during this conversation, probably walks a few steps away and then just, and they watch him go, disappear behind the clouds. And they don't know what to do. They're just sitting there staring up there, you know. I think they stare and then they look at each other and they scratch their head and they stare some more and they're like, you think he's coming back? I don't know, you know. Do you just go up to bring us lunch? I don't, what do you think's happening here, right? And an angel has to appear and go, dudes, he gave you a mission. Why are you sitting staring, you know? Didn't he tell you to go back to Jerusalem? Yeah, you probably should go do that. It's a funny little story. But they obey 
And, and this changes everything for them because they saw their Savior, their Lord, crucified. They know he died. They lost, had lost all hope. And then against any explanation, they saw him raised from the dead. And it revolutionized everything for them. It changed everything for them. And so they go back with all this joy, and they're waiting in anticipation. And in Acts chapter 2, we get to what Jesus promised. And this is really day one of the church, day one of the movement. Actually, the resurrection is. But this is the day when the church really explodes. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And Pentecost is, the, uh, is a word for Shavuot, which is the festival of, of weeks. And this is 50 days from the beginning of Passover. That's why it's called Pentecost. And, and it commemorates every year. The, the, the Jews would celebrate this and still do. And uh, it would commemorate the giving of the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. And this is so significant because the, the Ten Commandments were given 49 days after the Exodus began. And so this is so significant that this is celebrated at the same time every year and that the Father sent the Holy Spirit, that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit at this time. Because as, as just as the original law, and Paul really unpacks this in some of his letters, and we don't have time to do that today, but just as the original law was given, and it was a law that, that, that it, it, it's perfect, but, but so many, everyone, not so many, every one of us has broken. Every one of us. And Paul says, I'm going to put a new, write a new law in your heart, and it's going to be the law of the Spirit. I'm going to give you the power to actually do the things I'm calling you to do, to live the way you're called to live. And it's called the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The law of the Spirit. Paul says the law of the Spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly... A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then they saw what seemed like to, to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. This is known as the diaspora where Jews were dispersed all over the known world. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderness because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed. See this theme of amazement that goes through this whole thing? Luke uses this word a lot, amazed, amazed. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? You remember like the country bumpkins? They're like, you know, from the sticks. They talk with the drawl. They're kind of slow. But they're all speaking perfectly in my language from here. How's this happening? Absolutely amazing. I've, got, I've heard some really cool stories of God doing the same thing today. One of my good friends uh, who uh, is leading our Africa trip here in a couple weeks, he uh, had an experience when he was in Guinea where he had a high-level government negotiation meeting that he was part of. And, and he went into this meeting, and all of a sudden, 
didn't speak a lick of French, but all of a sudden for this 30 or 45 minute period, he perfectly understood the whole conversation in French. As soon as he walked out the door, he didn't understand it anymore. Kind of cool. Heard somebody else that comes here, their nephew, was able to speak a message in a strange dialect of Cambodian to this foreign exchange student that communicated the gospel and, and the love of God to them. He hadn't heard his own language for months since he'd been home. It was a really cool story. So, can you imagine that? Hearing this, all these languages in their own language. Parthians. I'm going to try to read this list, okay? And you can give me props if I do it right. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors of Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Uh, the trick is just to read them fast enough that you don't know if I'm saying them right. You know, It's a little preacher trick, something I do. But this is so cool, and I got a Bible nerd out for just a minute because I know some of you really like that. If you don't, just like, you know, check Facebook and come back to me in about 60 seconds. So here we go. Let's go to this map. Here's the cool thing. Here's what happens. And this is why this is so significant in the gospel going forth. Because about 300 years before Jesus, there was a very famous general called Alexander. Yes, you've heard of him. And he conquered the whole known civilized world in an astoundingly short period of time. And then he went on to drink himself to death and lost his kingdom only 10 years later. But he spread the language of Greek all over the world. It became the official trade language of the world. And from this time, pockets of people from Israel because they had been already carted off to Babylon, and many of them, most of them stayed in Babylon. Some came home. But these pockets of, of Jewish communities went all over what was then started as the Greek Empire and then turned into the Roman Empire a short time later. And so from all over, and here's what would happen. Every year at the time of Passover, many people would make a pilgrimage. Um, it would be a highlight. You'd make a pilgrimage back to Jerusalem so you could be at the temple for Passover. And most would then stay for the time period between Passover and Shavuot or Pentecost. And so on that day, they, the city's flooded with people from all these foreign nations and, and some God-fearers too, which would have been Gentiles that, uh, that believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the city is flooded with these people during this time that the common language was Greek, trade language. And so from this, it planted the seeds because of Alexander um, and the kingdom that, that he built, God was preparing the way. And it was during a time where the law, where the scriptures went silent, where there were no prophets and even during that time where things seemed so dark for the people of Israel, God was planting the seeds for the kingdom of God to spread around this world and for the good news that God would produce the Savior through the people of Israel that would be the Savior for the whole world. He was preparing the way for it. That's why Paul says when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born into this world. And one other cool little Bible nerd thing on this is these, this list of nations that Luke puts in here is very significant 
Because all the way back at an event called the Tower of Babel, when the nations were dispersed, there's a list of nations there that essentially rebelled against God. And God said, okay, I will abandon you to your ways and I will start again, I will start a new nation. They insisted on worshiping foreign gods that weren't real gods, that were idols. You go ahead and do your thing. I'm going to start with a new nation and this is the nation that I will found to bring redemption to the world. And he started with a guy named Abraham and the rest is history. And these nations represent a list from all those regions. In other words, God is saying, I am gathering back the nations that rejected me. I'm going after them. And I'm going after them in Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Cool, cool stuff. Verse 12 says this, amazed, again, amazed, amazed and perplexed. They asked one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? But for those who were with Jesus the whole time, it was beginning to make perfect sense. And that very first day, Peter gets up, who before denied Jesus just weeks before this, denied him three times. He gets up and preaches one of the boldest sermons, the boldest sermon perhaps ever recorded, closely with Stephen's, who was the first martyr. Awesome sermon. And looks the guys in the eye that were part of shouting, crucify him. And says, you killed him. You missed your Messiah. You killed him, but God raised him from the dead. And he offers you repentance and forgiveness. The good news of the gospel. For the worst of sinners, it's available to you. And this message of the gospel spread like wildfire around the Roman Empire. And because it was accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit in incredible signs, but not just in signs and miracles. It's also the, the power, transformative power of the Holy Spirit to bring courage to people that enabled them to go to their death as martyrs for Jesus. Because they had, they, they had spoken to the eyewitnesses and they'd read the accounts that the Savior was crucified and dead and then rose again. And he promised that even if you die, you will rise again to eternal life if you put your faith and trust in Jesus. And it gave them the courage to stare down death. And it gave them the courage to live in a whole different way, to absolutely transform their life. So that when things happen, like in the Roman Empire, even under persecution, when, when the plague in the early first couple centuries would roll through Rome, your family member gets it, your child gets it, you would abandon them. Pagans would abandon them and flee and just leave them to die. Well, Christians didn't fear death because of the power of the Holy Spirit and because of what they'd witnessed with their Savior. And so they would stay and care for the dying. And that spoke volumes. What would give someone the courage to do that? That's magnetic. I want some of that. They remembered Jesus' teachings when he said, let the little children come to me. And so the Rome had a practice of exposing babies. If you didn't like them or want them or you, got, you, know, you wanted a boy and you got a girl, you just set her out to die. And the Christians said, you can't do that. And they started the first orphanages and rescued babies and cared for the sick and dying, something that Christian organizations and followers of Jesus had continued to do for 2,000 years all around this world. 
They started countless hospitals in Jesus' name because of Jesus' example, healing the masses. They started educational institutions, including all of our Ivy League institutions were started as Bible colleges. And they spread literacy all over the world so that people could understand the truth and read the teachings of Jesus. Amazing, incredible impact this Jesus had. It would inspire people like William Wilberforce, the man who was responsible for ending slavery in Britain that rippled over and ended slavery here. It would inspire people like Mother Teresa to give up everything to serve the poorest and most marginalized people. It inspired people like William Tyndale to take the scriptures that were locked in the language only the priests could read and translate them into the common man's language and be burnt at the stake for it. The courage to do that. That's powerful. And here, here's the truth. No matter what you believe about Jesus, you can't dispute that he has put an incredible stamp on history. And that fact, and the fact that his movement survived against all odds, it not only survived, but it became the most identified with thing in the history of the world is simply amazing. And it's incredibly unlikely unless you factor in that God and his power was on the move and God had a plan to carry the good news of life in Jesus to the ends of the earth and to plant his kingdom in the hearts of people in every corner of this planet. And that's what you and I are part of today. And that's what our church is really all about. And that commission that was first given to those disciples, both as we just saw in Acts and the version in Matthew where Jesus tells them, therefore, go into all the world, or literally as you go, as you go about your life, as you go to work, as you go to school, as you get up and, and take care of your kids in your home, go into all the world. As you do that, you make disciples, teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. Because he's with us. Until when? The end of the age. It's called the Great Commission. And I say this often in our newcomers meeting, that really all churches, if they're biblical churches, we all have the same mission statement. It's called the Great Commission. Now that works itself out very radically in, in, in different ways in different churches and looks different. But as we continue to, to grow as a church and put up new walls, I thought it was important to pause and just have a conversation about what this was all about, what it's all about, what we're part of. And here's a commitment we have. We will be a church that reaches our community and reaches the nations. We're going to reach locally and we're going to reach the nations. It's, it's great. I am glad we're building some cool walls. It's going to be nice to have solid walls and doors that close, you know, especially on the louder children day, right? It doesn't bother me so much, but those in that back corner, you're like, what'd you say? <laughs> We're going to, and, and that's great, right? But it's, it's not about facility. It's about the movement, isn't it? It's about the movement. 
And the facility is just something that allows us to reach our community more effectively. Because we know environment really matters. It really matters. And as you invite family and friends who maybe don't know Jesus yet, and if that's you in the room and you're just kind of checking out God, church, and the Bible, we're so glad you're here. But as you invite family and friends, we want to do our best to create an environment, and not just environment, but church services that are a place where people can come and, and hear and, and, and not be weirded out and not have a bunch of religious jargon that they don't understand. We're, we're never going to water down the message, but we want to present it in such a way that anybody can understand and where people can connect with Jesus. Reaching community goes on weekly as we preach the gospel to people right here. As we teach, script, teach scripture, we disciple people. As we baptize people, as we build genuine community through events and groups, as we disciple kids and youth, as we create a church environment where people who are skeptical and don't believe yet are welcomed, where everyone is welcomed. Everyone is welcome. And here's the thing about the, the week-in, week-out ministry of the church that, that's difficult sometimes, and that's this, that it's very hard to gauge. We will never know in this life how many, how, we will never really get a, a pulse. Hopefully we'll get a pulse, but we'll never know the extent of how effective we've been and how many, say, marriages have been saved because people have been discipled to follow Jesus and to obey Jesus and husbands to love their wives like Christ loved the church, right? We'll never know in, the, in this life how many young people avoided walking away from their faith because they were surrounded by a loving community and real, really discipled, or for some even, how many of their lives were saved because they had community around them and a great youth program. We'll never know how the ripples will go on to reach generations. We won't see that in our lifetime, but we believe and we, we are planning here and looking to the future, believing that God can change generations. Also, reaching community, it stretches beyond these four walls, right? We're involved in things right now like helping launch an area-wide recovery ministry. Some of you are involved in helping with that that's, that's meeting in one of the other vineyard churches here in town, but it's a partnership. A bunch of you quietly serve in our community in all kinds of different ways. You're our hands and feet in the community. We have great things going on. We had a guy in the church running books for Hope of the Grand Valley, one of the local um, organizations. We had a lady in the church that just recently helped relaunch a Young Lives Single Moms ministry, just serving in different areas. We have every Monday night during the school year, Young Life uses our facilities here right next door in Fruit of Monuments. Young Life meets here and kids are being preached the gospel. We support various local organizations and we will continue to increase the ways we reach and partner with our community. And then we're going to be serious about reaching the nations as well. In the past, really, just several years now, four or five years, we've taken almost 200 people in our groups. We've had groups that add up to, I added up, 198 people. And we built seven homes in Mexico for families. We're getting ready to send a team to Africa here in a couple weeks. You'll hear more about that, and we'll pray them off here in the next couple weeks. And they're going to serve the poorest and most marginalized by helping Mercy Ships. We, last fall, we funded and launched four church planters through your generosity into Myanmar, an unreached nation. And we're starting to get 
reports back of the people that are hearing the gospel through that and responding to the gospel through that. And just in just a couple weeks, they have another church planner launching and I can't go this time, but we're gonna fund another couple churches and launch another couple church planners to reach this nation. And that's just the beginning. God, we're, we're going to be used to, re, to reach nations. And the way we continue to become this kind of church that really reaches our community and really reaches the nations is when you truly engage. When you truly engage. Because the Great Commission didn't stop with the disciples. It continues to go forward as you and I step forward and we respond in obedience. He said, I will, you will receive power, Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. You have access to the power to do whatever God is calling you to do. As you walk by the power of his Holy Spirit, as you ask him to fill you up. Paul said, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an ongoing thing as you live your life in sync with him. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That as you go about your day-to-day life, whatever your circle is, your primary focus, and I know it's hard because we're busy, we have kids and we have frustrations and we gotta pay the bills, but in spite of all that, the primary orienting focus of your life needs to be Jesus You left me here on task and I want to fulfill the task you've given me and and praying and seeking the Lord for what does that look like today? My life today is yours. And so here I've got three ways for you as we get ready to close here in a little while. Three ways for you to do this, to stay engaged. The first one is to respond to the Holy Spirit, to say yes to God. As you're reading scripture and he highlights an area of obedience, say yes. Make a change. He will provide you with the power to do anything he's leading you to do. For some of you, really responding to the Holy Spirit just looks like starting by walking across the street. It, it looks like starting by picking up the phone and asking for someone to, for, you know, to forgive you for something or sending a text. I had to do that this morning. Sometimes it's saying yes to him as he prompts you to speak or pray for someone else. And in that moment when you're terrified and you know, it's a coworker and you just feel the Holy Spirit saying, you need to, this conversation and whatever they're going through, you need to speak into this and bring some hope and life to them and the message of Jesus. And your, your mouth gets dry, your tongue feels like it's swelled and you get, you know, your heart starts because... It's kind of scary sometimes. And in that moment, it's saying, hey, I'm I'm a follower of Jesus and I don't have the answer for you, but I believe in a God who has the power to move in this situation. Can I pray for you? And then don't just go off and forget, you know, because we're classic for that, aren't we Christians? I'll pray for you. Oh, yeah. That's why I think it's, it's, it's so much better to stop and pray in the moment. Can I pray for you right now? Okay, yeah. Yeah, it feels a little weird, but... Let's duck over here in this corner. Let me put my hand on your shoulder. Let's just pray. Why? 
Because the same Holy Spirit that was active in the apostles is active in you. And it's responding to the Holy Spirit. And then the second thing is this. Connect to what God has placed in your heart. We have this value here that says we are an equipping church. And that does mean teaching you the scriptures weekly and in all of our kids' programs and our youth and, and in life groups as we dig into scriptures. It means that, but it also means something beyond that. And that is that each one of you, each person in the body of Christ is called to make other disciples. We believe. Ephesians says, our job as pastors and teachers is to equip you for the work of the ministry that God has called you to. And so we want to help you figure out the things that God's just hardwired you up to do, and we want to help you get to them. Remember, you are the hands and feet of the church in the community, in the workplace. Most of the people I deal with on a daily basis are you guys, people who already know Jesus. It's been fun interacting with a bunch of construction workers here over the last couple of weeks that are not church people. But I'm telling you, most, you have the opportunity, so many of you, on a daily basis to speak life into our community, to bring hope into our community, to serve in areas all over our community. And we want to help you figure out what God's wired you up to do and help you. We want you to connect to what God's placed on your heart. I've said it before. I think if, if everyone got to the thing that God placed on their heart, it would transform our nation. It would transform our world. We have some things like, like, like this. I mean, like those people that I just told you about doing stuff in the community. We've got a guy, Jim, that's actually our general contractor. And years ago, he just started a ministry in Africa because God laid it on his heart. They've reached hundreds of people for Jesus, maybe thousands. And he's got a church in the works right now that they're trying. They got a floor poured and they're trying to get walls up. It's probably something we're going to partner with him at some point. Respond to the thing God's calling you to. Connect to it. And it doesn't have to be something in Africa, right? Oftentimes, it's just right across the street. It's in the local school. Okay? Engage. Last one is this. Engage with your local church. And for some of you, that's just showing up regularly. I mean, some of you, the place you're at is you just need to commit that I got to get my questions answered. I need to grow in my faith. I'm going to be here every week. I'm going to be faithful in this thing, and I'm going to allow Jesus to move on my heart. I'm going to get around some people who can encourage me in the right direction. But for some, for some maybe that's connecting in groups. we got some other options we're going to throw out this summer. I know this session is almost done. For some, maybe that's giving. This isn't the giving talk today. For many, I hope it's serving in, a very, in some area in our church. As we, as we prepare to, uh, to take the next step. As we finish these walls, and I, I hope we're getting things kind of nice by the end of summer. And my, my hope, my, my goal is as we head into the new school year, I believe that God is going to bring an influx of new families into our church. And because of that, we need to start now in building more children's ministry teams. I'm, I'm excited about these walls back here. I'm excited about them. And I'm excited we're going to get some new lights. Actually, we got these lights and we ordered the wrong ones. So we're going to have to move them into the hall and get some new ones in here. So we got that figured out. But as we complete these walls, I'm excited. You know, we'll get some new cool lights and we'll get more comfy chairs for those of you that like to sit on the sides, you know. But what I'm much more excited about is that right over there. That right over there. 
We've got multiple new classrooms that we're adding. This gives us the ability to impact generations. And we need you to jump on board and help us with that. We're going to have teachers in classes, but for some of you, that looks, just looks like serving once a month, giving an hour of your time. And we don't just need ladies, guys. We need men, especially in the elementary ages, to have a man in there just doing crowd control with the boys. So helpful. So helpful. And so we need some of you to, to take that blue card and to say, you know what, and I would love to get it started this summer so that by the time fall hits, we've got a strong team in place and we're ready for whoever God sends us. So some of you, we would love for you to get engaged in serving in the church. Now, there's all kinds of other areas to serve. We know kids' ministry isn't everyone's cup of tea. We need to grow in our hospitality teams, our ministry team for prayer team, and then obviously in the construction project over the next couple months, we need a bunch of you to just show up, you know, and to give a few hours here or there. You can show up anytime during the week, get on the text list, come by, text John, Pastor John, our operations pastor, and say, hey, I can come by for a couple hours. We'll put you to work. We've got all sorts of, we'll have you cutting studs for helping guys. It saves us actually a lot of resources if we have good volunteer help come out. But then beyond that, getting this place turned around every weekend for the weekend's a big job, and we would love some additional help there. So really, That's what I want, I encourage you to do. Would you respond to the Holy Spirit? Would you connect with what God's placed on your heart? And would you engage with your local church? Would you stand? Father, I just want to say thank you so much for all you've done for us. Lord, you are so good. And Lord, we thank you for the work you're doing in this place. We thank you for the progress. We thank you that that the building's coming along, but much more important, we thank you for the opportunity to share the gospel with so many more people, Lord. Would you allow us to be a church that reaches our community and reaches our world? We love you, and we pray these things in your name, in the name of Jesus, amen.